Welcome to R6 Society, a podcast series where researchers from King's College London and people with lived experience explore together how social factors contribute to mental health problems. For this four-part series, we're doing things a little bit different. This is a Reach Young Persons Takeover, where we'll be discussing all things related to mental health and young people. I'm Karima. I'm Adna. And I'm Tashi. And we're all Young Persons Community Champions on the Reach team, bringing you the four-part series. REACH stands for Resilience, Ethnicity and Adolescent Mental Health and we've worked with over 4,000 young people to help us understand the best ways to promote good mental health among young people from all backgrounds. REACH is also interested in exploring the potential impact of COVID-19 pandemic on young people but most importantly, what things help young people maintain good mental health during this time and the next steps to help young people thrive post-COVID. We'll be joined by some very special guests during this series, discussing issues that are important and relevant to us. This episode will focus on social media and young people's mental health. Studies have found a strong link between heavy social media use and an increased risk for depression, anxiety, loneliness, self-harm, and even suicidal thoughts. Social media may promote negative experiences such as inadequacy about your life or appearances, Although social media has many positives that we have to account for, such as its ability to spread awareness. As young people, we use social media often in our day-to-day lives, and so it's important to find solutions to improve our experience, whilst using social media and find ways to make it a safe environment for us. Today we are here with Louisa Rose, Chief Executive Officer at Beyond, who will be sharing some of the ways we can use social media more effectively. Louisa, could you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be chatting to you all. Um, A bit about myself. So I am Louisa Rose. I'm 38 years old. I have two small children. uh, One's two and one's five. Um, I have my own personal lived experience of mental ill health. Um, I suffer from depression and anxiety, Tourette's and OCD. Um, the latter two were more recently diagnosed. Um, and I, I, I work as um, I run the youth mental health charity Beyond, which is really wonderful organization um but I've sort of become an accidental CEO because my professional experience is actually um as a social media consultant so I was a freelance social media consultant for the last decade um I'm so interested in mental health as a as a you know as a concept anyway um and I'm always I'm super passionate about um, youth mental health specifically because my mental health struggles started when I was younger and I have very small children like I said so I'm really really conscious about what the world is going to look like um, as they're growing up. Yeah it's really interesting especially the fact that you used to work with social media so based on your area of expertise can you tell us a bit about the role you think social media has on the mental health especially for young people? Mm, yeah um, so I speak to a lot of young people um, I I deliver workshops around sort of how to mitigate the, let's say, the negative impact of social and really harness the positives because that often gets missed when you're having this conversation. Um, But I I do think that social media has got, uh, plays a huge role actually in low self-esteem 
um, sort of comparison um, to others, to peers, loneliness, it's very isolating. Um, I think it can be a very, it can be a very lonely, a very harmful and a very sort of painful place to be. But it, and it can unfortunately seem like the only place that you're supposed to be. Um, and what I mean by that is that it's sometimes very easy to forget that there is a real world outside of the digital walls of mm. a social media platform. So I would say that in terms of negative impacts, it certainly has, um, you know, there's a direct link between um, body image and social media and, and the impact that it can have on people either with eating disorders or triggering eating disorders is, is huge. Um, I think that the platforms themselves have a lot to answer for because they can actually improve on um, the sort of safety element of it. Um, and that's something I think we're going to be seeing so more and more of in the in the news and sort of as you know the next year unfolds really because it's sort of been kind of um, catapulted into the sort of mainstream media now and discussion, um, which is a good thing. But yeah, I would say that they're they're the main sort of negative impacts. Yeah, we just spoke about a lot of negative impact on social media. But um, as I know, there's also some positive. Do you think there are any positives when it comes to using social media? And what are they? Oh, 100%. I mean, it's amazing because really you see movements um, like, let's say, I mean, I could actually talk about this topic forever. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name some movements and I'm not, there are the movements themselves have sort of flaws within them, right? And the social media platforms themselves allow for those flaws to be, um, to, to sort of manifest. But overall, movements like, you know, Black Lives Matter, Pride, um, climate change, you know, it, all, of these, all of these movements really gain traction on social. So you can become really passionate, you can learn, you can be motivated by and you can be empowered by what you see on social media and the times when you aren't really just comes down to actually knowing and being mindful of how you how you use it you know um, and I think it's really important just you know sadly the uh, the apps themselves are actually fundamentally designed to be addictive right they are designed to actually engage you and to maintain your attention and to constantly trigger your attention actually even when you're not in the app so that's the notifications and you know there's, there's a lot of different um, sort of tools that it uses it very it uses uh, the the algorithms use psychology to actually design the apps themselves and sort of the addictive nature of them but once you empower yourself with the knowledge of that it's a lot easier to stay away from the harmful effects in order to actually enjoy the sort of community element to it and there really is a community element so that's definitely one of the um one of the positives and the other is actually that you know social media yes can be a very lonely place because there is this argument around you know what is sort of reality and what's portrayed as reality etc but also it can really be a place where you feel less alone. So let's take the mental health community as an example. 
if you're suffering from a mental illness and it's maybe a new thing for you, or even if it's not, even if it's a long-standing, you know, issue that you've had, you can really find people that will make you feel or help you feel comforted, supported, and that in turn obviously makes you feel less alone, and um, which is just obviously a hugely positive thing. So I really do think there's some some positives, and I I would argue actually that the positives, if you if you use social media mindfully, the positives actually would outweigh the negatives. It's just that we're not actually using it mindfully, and we're not teaching young people how to. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, especially with the what you said about how social media's power with moving movements such as BLM and Pride. My next question for you is, do you have any top tips for social media use for young people? Yeah, I do. Um, so my, my favorite one is really just helping people to understand how to curate their feeds. <laughs> so what I would, um, I always, I, I always tell young people that they are in control of the content they see so despite the fact there's an algorithm and it's plugging in all of your you know information and it's designed like I said using psychology to make you stay on there longer once you know that you can actually be in control of it if that makes sense so make sure that you do you know you do that sort of follower cull right don't follow people for the sake of it do not follow accounts for the sake of it Ask yourself if the accounts that you follow, does their content make you feel good about yourself? Does it inspire you in some kind of a way? Does it make you feel supported? If the answer is no to any of those things, then unfollow, hit that unfollow. It's like the most important thing because in doing that, that's you claiming back control because you are saying to the platforms, actually, I don't like the type of content that those people are that those accounts are actually serving me and the more that you stay away from accounts with unhealthy content for you the more you're actually teaching the algorithm about the type of stuff that you do want to see so this kind of brings me back to the whole mindful element of it because if you're mindfully scrolling and mindfully liking and mindfully commenting and the worst mindfully following the algorithms pick up on that and so they're actually learning the whole time um I'd love to know if you all curate your feeds no <laughs> um I do like I was having a conversation with someone the other day and I realized my content is like so good like it's so different to their content like that they're saying the things that they see I'm like wow like honestly I did I don't know that you can see some kind of things so yeah my content I make sure that is very good for me personally <laughs> yeah it's so important. I mean, it's a very simple thing. So, so I say curating your feed. Um, I have a bit of an, a random one and everyone thinks that I'm kind of a little bit um, bonkers maybe, but in, in the good sense of the word um, when I ask it, but I sort of go into schools and I actually ask students how they tell the time. So how do you tell the time? Look, look at the clock on my, on phone. my phone. Yeah, on look phone. On my phone. <laughs> do you wear a watch? I do, and I still check my phone. <laughs> I do, but if I do, I you don't. So one of my biggest tips is to invest in a watch, and even better than that, invest in an analog watch. So nothing digital on your wrist, because the second you pick up your phone to tell the time, that's your gateway into social, right? That's the gateway into apps, and that means that 
that's the gateway into sort of whiling away 30 minutes without even realizing what where the time's gone so I think it all starts with the watch so I I went out and I bought a watch I bought a watch literally I turned up and I was I was at a shop um looking at watches specifically my husband had said what do you what would you like it was for my birthday or something I was like I want a watch I want a watch I want a watch but it can't have a screen on it and actually it's really useful because um picking up your phone to tell the time is such a habitual thing and actually once you break that connection and you start to habitually look at your watch instead of your phone that does something to the relationship I mean you need to ask the psychologist that you all work with and the um but that it does something in in breaking that connection which I think is really valuable in terms of social media health um so that's another one and I always, always tell people to set the in-app time limits because it's just really important that you know how long you're actually spending on there. And the more the more you sort of get used to the idea or the the more, I guess, habitual again, the the feeling of knowing what your time limit is in there, the more mindful you actually are in what you're doing. So mindless scrolling is probably one of the most dangerous things to do. Um and actually, very subconsciously, you can find yourself engaging with content that you really are just not mentally invested in at all. But because of that habitual thing, you've done it without even realizing it. So I would say they're my top, I don't know how, how many was that, was that three or four? It was three. They're my three top, top tips. Um, and, you know, there's, to be honest, I honestly, I could literally talk for hours about this stuff. Um, start to think about you know if there's any hashtags that you really don't want to see you can actually follow um, I'm sorry not follow you can actually block them you can stop them from actually being seen you can mute people you can block people oh my god the block and delete <sighs> report block and delete even better um so yeah there's a lot of things that you can do but my really I think like the key the three key ones are those it's the in-app time limits it's buying a watch and it is um curating your feed just a quick question about the time limit one how much time do you think is acceptable to spend on like social media that's a really hard question because i guess it comes down to what you're using it for it's it's interesting because it's something i always ask the students that i speak to because we sort of do a poll in the room and honestly the the amount of time that's spent really varies. I mean, there's some really shocking, um, there are some shocking things that come out of those polls. You know, some people spend like eight hours of their, you know, their day on it on a weekend. I spent 15 hours on TikTok last week. I don't know how. <laughs> that's it. You don't know how. That's the key, right? That's the mindlessness. That's the mindlessness. So switch that to mindful and then hopefully make it an aim by the next, by next week that you do know what you were doing on it like what were you watching what was it that you were into like what you know because uh tiktok's almost one of the worst because it's so easy to just scroll through everything um but yeah i mean uh, i would it really depends what you use it for because for some people who are just using it to communicate with their friends and that is important and that has a place you know if you're particular particularly if you're in you know your home and 
maybe your your home environment isn't sort of a, a positive environment for you to be in then actually it's your sort of it's your door into socially connecting with others and so actually it's not that fair of me to sort of say what I think an appropriate time is I can tell you that the time that people that I speak to spend on it probably ranges from about an hour a day to like four hours a day um and up to up to eight hours on a weekend genuinely which is just terrifying but I guess one of the one of the questions I'd love to ask you is do you see whatsapp as a social media platform no for me personally i don't like i really really don't but they're trying to make it like a social media for example you know it's the status story things you can watch but i personally just see whatsapp as a message for my family honestly that's the only people i text on there it's my mom my sister and my nan that's all but yeah i personally don't but i know it is I think it's almost becoming one of the most unhealthy ones because I think it's um, really difficult to engage in a conversation on WhatsApp and not respond instantly. And social media, social media is defined as sort of um, a communication tool that allows the sort of transfer of communication and information in real time, which is what WhatsApp does. I mean, the amount of memes that are shared on whatsapp the amount of fake news that's shared on whatsapp you know i mean there was an onion thing when the pandemic first hit something about if you eat an onion or something i don't know you're not going to get covid or um and and so i do think there's an interesting conversation around whether or not that is is social media or not and there's two very very sort of polarized camps around that um but i do think it's fast becoming if you don't consider it social media equally as negative as social media can be um, but for others, it is actually a social media platform and it's just used in the same sort of the same sort of way, not necessarily with the mindlessness, because I do think you're engaging and you are understand you're, you're mindful of the conversations you're having. But um, but there's a certain sort of instant um, instant is that the word um, to it that you feel sort of like on edge if you haven't responded to something and, you know, immediately and but they've seen you're online but you haven't answered and why haven't you answered because you're online so you know and it's, it's that whole thing so yeah I'm, I'm really glad how we've come from from how many hours should you spend on social media to this it's such a great discussion um actually before we just end this I wanted to ask one more question do you believe that people should delete social media if it becomes a problem and problem being like spending like 15 16 17 hours a week is that a problem and if they do, should they delete the app? So I'd almost reframe that to, do we think that you should delete social media if it's becoming a problem for you rather than because it's spending X number of hours on it because social media can have a negative impact on you without even spending, you know, even an hour a day on it. And Mm -hmm. so I think that I would respond saying you absolutely should delete the app if it's having a negative impact on you because it's very hard to remain disconnected from the app if it's sitting on your phone so I would uninstall it go full uninstall if it's having a negative impact if you are feeling unhappy with yourself as a result of the content that you're seeing or you are um 
you know on the receiving end or in fact have because we often don't talk about this but have found yourself to be actually um the sort of perpetration perpetrating side of um sort of sending negative comments etc uninstall 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 and also like it's really important to say because everything on well not everything but one of the biggest conversations around social media is the the representation of reality is it a true representation of reality often not and actually I think that's really it's really important for me in this moment to say I don't have perfect social media habits I really don't and when I go away um hopefully COVID pending and all the rest of it um I don't I need to disconnect so I will be uninstalling definitely Instagram from my phone um when I'm away because I also haven't nailed healthy social media habits the whole time I really haven't and and I think it's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about educating younger people a lot younger than me because it's almost like you know I, I'm sort of too late we almost need to get to like the nine and ten year olds who haven't quite got there yet and actually we can still impart really helpful information you know when they go into ICT for example in school they're learning how to copy and paste and do some excel stuff they're not learning how to curate feeds but they should be um so that's my final thought (laughs) thank you so much no definitely I agree with everything you said there like it's harder when you grow up to change your habits when you've Mm -hmm. done it for so long like I personally I I attend a youth group in a church and we do this thing like three times a year where for 21 days we're not on social media and what I mean is the best like honestly just not having that time away from social media is honestly the best and by myself the only like social media I have is TikTok it's a bit bad and um, Snapchat I don't have Instagram because I feel like I just just, yeah I just don't need that thing on me but I agree with everything you personally said but thank you I don't have any more questions I'm not sure if you guys do but thank you so much I love this conversation oh it's been really lovely talking to you as well thank you so much for having me honestly it's such an important topic and I think more people that start really looking at both sides of it and the better so yeah great work Today we're here with Professor Yvonne Kelly, Director of the International Centre for Life Course Studies in Society and Health, who will be discussing the relationship between social media and mental health. Yvonne, could you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Ah, okay. I'm Yvonne Kelly. I'm Professor of Life Course Epidemiology at University College London. I I run a research centre. That's one of my day jobs. And that's a a large programme of work that looks at the links between society and health. And it does that right across different stages of the life course. So the part of the programme that I I lead on myself is on children and young people. And then we have, you know, we look at uh, people right throughout. So their working lives. Uh, their families and into retirement age and we you know we're, we're basically we look to use some of the UK's large data investments so mm-hmm. things like the longitudinal studies and we're really trying to piece together the puzzles of how society gets under the skin and and in doing so how that translates into poor health so that's a little bit about me. 
That has been incredibly interesting. That's really interesting. Um, so today we want to discuss um, the relationship between social media and mental health. So I had a few questions regarding that. I have one question that might sound a bit different. Um, how many hours do you think you spend on social media weekly? None. 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 Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> I don't use it at all. <laughs> but my children do. So, okay. So, um, yeah, I've got three... Uh, three quite grown-up children, and um, they use different platforms to varying extents um, to keep touch with their friends and conduct their social lives and do all sorts of other interesting things. So, yeah, but personally, I do not, um, I do not person a social media account. So, okay, so let's split the question then. How influential do you think social media is in young people's lives? I think it's incredibly important. It's a way that we can connect uh, with people who we love, uh, our, our friends, our family, uh, and beyond that, wider social networks. It's a way of making connections, which can be really, really positive um, between people. It's a way of learning. It's a way of raising awareness. It's a fantastic way to, of, for, you know, to, to sort of get involved in activism, uh, political movements and so on. That there are so many benefits to social media. It's incredibly important for young people um, who have largely grown up with this, uh, you know, digital technologies and way of accessing information and communicating with each other. The, the benefits and the positive aspects are numerous countless and you know it, it can be an enormous um force for good yeah i 100% agree i feel like it's very influential especially with young children and i feel like it has a lot of positives and based on your area of expertise can you tell us a bit about the role you think social media has on mental health especially for young people yeah it's really really complex so there's been a huge amount of research done on this, you know, particularly over the last um, 10 years or so since, you know, mobile devices and, and we're all walking around with our phones, aren't we? And we're all interacting with, you know, uh, those in different ways. And, uh, you know, young people can spend a lot of time on those social media platforms. And there's a complex relationship from the evidence that is growing and has been growing for the last few years and, and including the work that we've done in our team, a complex relationship between the two things. And there's a, there's a whole ton of studies, you know, you said in your introduction that show this association between the amount of time that young people are spending online and markers of their mental health. And, you know, that, you know, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, all of these things um, are associated, correlate really quite strongly with the amount of time, particularly young women um, spend online. So what we've been trying to do is, is to unpick that in a little bit more detail. So we're saying, well, if we see this association between the amount of time people spend online, particularly young women and their mental health, then, you know, what, what could that plausibly be through? So there we've been looking at um, perhaps pathways through sleep, because the more time you spend online, uh, you know, it's, you, it's, it's plausible to, to, to think that, you know, you might get less sleep or that your sleep might be, might be more affected or restless because of the, the kinds of things that you might be experiencing online. We've been looking at um, online harassment or cyberbullying as, as a set of experiences that might 
um, explain an association between time online and mental health. And we've been looking at body image and we've been looking at self-esteem and really sort of trying to put together those four um, uh, explanations which can interact with each other as well. So, you know, if you're being, if you're experiencing negative things online, if you're being harassed or bullied, then it's plausible to think that that might, inter, you know, have an impact on your sleep uh, and so on. It's also plausible that it would impact on your self-esteem and perhaps on your body image, depending on what the nature of those negative interactions online are. So we've been trying to kind of un unpick this quite complex puzzle. Um, but we also know that young people who have mental health difficulties in the first instance might be drawn to spending more time online so it, it you know the, there could be at play here a cyclical association so you you know we're, we're currently trying to unpack that a little bit more you know what came first is it depression and anxiety uh, increased levels of those leading to, to young people spending more time online or is it the online time <laughs> that leads to young people, you know, feeling, uh, you know, having low mood and, and, and poor mental health. And that's that's really complex to do, um, but that's that's an area that we're currently engaged in. It's so interesting, everything you said. Um, I heard you briefly mention something about body image and it's very funny because my next question has to do with that. So can you tell us a bit about the influence social media might have on body image and how does influences affect that? Yeah, that's a really nice question. I think I think for, for me working in this area, you know, because so much of the focus because because of the available data is around hours of time spent online. And so what I often say to people is, well, it might not be the number of hours, but it's to do with the content. And, and you know, I said a little bit about the experiences that people might have online. And if they're being um, bullied or harassed, you know, you, you could spend a very small amount of time on, on different platforms and be having such a rotten experience. But it could be it could be a small amount of time, but that could be, you know, a really, really negative experiences you're having, and that might impact on your mental health. So it might not be about amount or the number of hours but it's more to do with the content and we could be viewing things online that have an impact on how we feel about the way that we look um comparison comparing ourselves you know with idealized body images could have a really really negative impact on the way we feel and in turn that impact on our, on our mental health and, and low mood for example so it's entirely plausible. We have to test it, you know, with the data we've got and apply statistical and, and scientific methods to testing those associations. But it, it, it's, it's, it's definitely a working hypothesis. I think in terms of how influencers might come into this picture, well, clearly it kind of depends on, on, the, on the images that they're projecting themselves uh, and, and the motivations for doing that. You know, but I, I, I think that if we are constantly bombarded by the perfect way to look, 
and the ideal way to, you know, to, to be viewed and be perceived by people in our environments, then I think that's a really, really hard thing. I, I, I think it's really, really difficult for young people. You know, adolescence is this, is this great drama in life. It's this really, really sensitive period in our development. And, you know, we, 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 we may change how much we care about the way we look as we as we kind of mature and get a little bit older but during adolescence at that time for young people it's it's really really um you know it can have such a major impact on how we feel and so if you're posting you know if, if you're taking kind of 100 or 200 selfies and you're putting them through some kind of filtering system to kind of get the perfect image of you and 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 sort of this this what you think is is the best is the best photographic representation of you and then you post that online and you don't get many likes or many positive endorsements and you feel the need then to remove that that's i, I i'm i'm guessing that that's not going to do your 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 self-esteem much good so you know the, these are all really really delicate areas um, for young people to navigate in terms of how they perceive themselves in the context of what they're seeing around them. Um, does that does that help answer that question at all? Yeah, 100%. I feel like, especially when I was younger, like around the age 13 to 14, I was constantly like going onto social media platforms such as like Instagram to like compare myself. And I feel like I I made a judgment about how a girl or a young girl should look like just from social media. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really common, you know, and, and um, it, yeah. And it's, it's that kind of, you know, what is perfection? You can't see me right now, but you'd be thinking, Oh, <laughs> you know, she, uh, you know, it's kind of, I, and, and it's how concerned we are with the way that we look. And I, and I, 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 I understand that during kind of the growing up years, you know, these things can have a really, really profound impact on the way we feel. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's important to, to, to think about that, think about the role of body image in relation to people's mental health and to, to sort of think about that environment and the ecosystem that we're you know, navigating or inhabiting when we're online and kind of experiencing these different social media platforms and to, to sort of be able to take a kind of an informed look at that and try and to take a step back and evaluate, just like you said, you know, evaluate what that might be doing um, to us as, as individuals, I guess. Yeah, my next question is also around social media, but it's more around covid so how does social media change during covid19 and did this help or hinder the experiences of mental health yeah well this is another great question if we look at what happened you know there were lockdowns we couldn't go out uh we couldn't see we, we could we could see barely anybody beyond the people who were living with so depending on your personal circumstances and, and who's in your immediate environment, if you're on your own and you are isolated, your main form of communicating with people 
was by, you know, by telephone, by social media platforms. And that was such a key way of keeping in touch with people. Uh, and really, and maybe for the first time, you know, we saw people across generations, uh, you know, uh, grandparents, great grandparents for the first time, you know, signing into Zoom, onto Teams, keeping in touch with the, the rest of their families. And we saw it was a key way of young people being able to communicate with each other and with their wider family networks. And I, I think it was such an important way of, of, of trying to sort of retain those connections because you know we, we couldn't just if you're lucky enough to be living close to family you couldn't just like pop around the corner and, and, and see you know see see your aunties or uncles or grandparents or you know those those sorts of things so I, I think it was really really important for people to be able to do that and in doing so there would have been a through those kind of personal connections there would have been a lot of benefits for people's mental health so there would have been protective um, elements to do with that increased amount of uh, time or the increased amount of connectivity um, over these kind of using these digital platforms to to reinforce and and to kind of relationships and you know keep connected with people um, we know that during COVID and during these extended periods of lockdown, that people's mental health uh, right across all different stages of life and including young people, you know, our mental health, you know, as a nation uh, took, a, took quite a hit um, and has been taking and still, I think, continues to take quite a hit from, from the, you know, from pandemic times. It's not like it's just sort of magically gone away. You know, we're, we're still dealing with, with the fallout from the pandemic uh, for lots of lots of reasons. Um, so, I, you know, the, 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 the way the changes that came with COVID necessitated us being able to communicate with our families and, and loved ones, our friends, our social, our social networks, in, you know, it necessitated using these, these platforms in many ways. And, um, you know, the benefits were, were, were many. And, um, you know, it, it really supported people. Honestly, I agree with all your points. I felt like I was so connected to my family but not at the same time so I feel like mm -hmm. social media was uh, my next question is actually quite very similar and I feel like you answered it but maybe you can expand how do you um was social media a useful tool during COVID-19 for mental health if so how yeah I think it was and you know uh, so all of the things I, I I said but also you know if 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 people were feeling isolated then they they could look for support um, via these, you know, via platforms and um, sort of via digital means. So, you know, it, 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 there would have been a lot of positives out there. We can't forget that negative content and negative experiences, you know, are still there. Um, but, you know, real life, in real life, negative experiences are there as well. You know, talking to young people um, who, for example, don't have a particularly good time in school in the school environment actually yeah. they had a much better time during the pandemic because they didn't need to go to school so there's kind of like you know that it wasn't like it was all rosy 
during uh, lockdowns and, and, and the pandemic at, at its height, if you like. Um, but there were like benefits from, from kind of, uh, for some people in some instances, young people, as I said, who, who don't particularly um, thrive in the school environment were relatively protected um, during that time for, for all sorts of reasons. So, um, but, you know, there is no substitute for face-to-face um, -face contact, I don't think. And over the last two weeks, uh, you know, I'm a university professor and I, and I, and I teach uh, as part of that role. And over the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been back in the classroom again for the first time since uh, March of 2020, as, as many people will have. And it's been just tremendously uh, good <laughs> in, in lots and lots of ways <laughs> to be back in the classroom, interacting with people, uh, you know, talking to people in real life, having those discussions that, um, that were, were far less easy to have um, over, you know, when we, when we were teaching and, and doing seminars with our students via Zoom or Teams or whatever it was. Um, nothing quite like the in life, in real life experience when it comes to those sorts of interactions. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, you mentioned just a minute ago um, that not everyone thrives in the school environment and such. I was wondering, is there a way that we can make the environment, just edu any educational environment, safer for young people? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we need to create more safe spaces for young people. And there needs to be a sort of uh, a, a sort of a greater deal of degree of, of surveillance I don't mean that in a, in a sort of a sinister big brother sense but there just there needs to be more ears to the ground and that could come from peer mentors uh, coaching systems within schools you know we know there's a huge amount of unmet need um, around young people's mental health and we know that service provision is on its knees and is a crisis point so there are, there are many many things that need to uh, happen in terms of the resourcing of services and support services for young people in terms of their mental health, whether that's in school or, you know, beyond the school environment. Um, but I, I would like to see an increased uh, focus put on safe spaces so that young people can share what they're going through. And then we can, you know, we can do things in systemic ways to improve um, the school environment to to better support young people. I know you mentioned how um, the school can be a better environment, but how do you think social media can be a better environment? How do you think we can make social media safer? But as it's a very platform that all young people use, so how do you think we can make make it safer for our mental health? Yeah, I think this. I think the platforms, these, you know, the businesses need to take more responsibility, and um, they're telling us that they want to they want to be more accountable and to create. Um, safer environments but they need to be doing that more seriously um, so that yeah I, I I feel strongly about that because um, corporations companies can say yeah you know we're socially responsible and so on but they they need to start really really acting on that and monitoring what's going on online taking down harmful content as soon as it pops up um, if if they have the power to formulate really, really complex algorithms that target each and every one of us 
um, you know, depending on our search histories, what we're looking at, what we're viewing, if they have the power to pinpoint us. So if I go online and I type in a search term, say I want to do a bit of shopping, and then next time I go online and I'm getting bombarded with adverts for those very products, like half an hour ago I was looking at, um, then if they can do that, then they can detect if, our, if, if we're viewing, if young people are viewing, anybody is viewing harmful content, um, they, you know, then they do have the power to, to take that stuff down very easily. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced by any counter arguments to that because, you know, if they can, they can lure us into to looking at 10 different versions of the product we were looking at just within the last 30 minutes or less, um, then they, then it, it, then they need to kind of um, have a much sharper eye on the content that that people and young people in particular are consuming. Thank you to all of our special guests who have participated in sharing their views during this four-part series. Tune in for the next episode. Bye. 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 <laughs>